Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive politics has a lot to offer the modern world. I'm Hannah Shah, and I'm joined by Alison McGovern and Stephanie Lloyd to discuss where the maze magical money tree is all that it seems. Plus, Stefan investigates the rise of Spain's far right. So, Alison, Steph, it feels nice to be back on the big pod. So I was off sick last week. Not really an eventful week in politics, I don't think. I, I forget what does happen week to week because like so many things are happening. So I'm like, what has what what did happen last week and what happened the week before? I'm enjoying that you're saying the words big pod. I quite like the word big pod. I think it's quite nice. It's the big quite, pod and the little pod. The big pod and the little pod. Yeah. The main pod and the extra pod. Yeah, big and little is definitely big better. Is nice, so this is the it? big pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's nice to have you back, Kenna. We've missed you. Oh, I've had to hold you. down the fort. Don't worry. I've kept it going. Yeah, just about. <laughs> but but relax, listeners. Henna is back. I am back with uh, boring banter. More, what? Boring banter? Boring banter. Yeah. Boring banter. Boring banter. <laughs> boring banter and have you forgotten how to hold your microphone properly? Yeah, because you keep yes. moving it away from your mouth. Because it's been a whole week. Okay, let's talk about some politics. This week, we've got a temporary lull in the Brexit onslaught in terms of parliamentary votes. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing going on. Uh, Most notably, I want to ask you to what you think of the announcement this morning that the Stronger Towns Fund is going to be mainly allocated to leave voting areas. Alison, can you explain a bit more? Is this new money? So is is it new money? I suppose technically it is new money in the sense of the government are creating a new fund. Although actually it's quite an interesting question where it's coming from. But I suppose the point about it is that local authorities will look at this and think we have lost so much and this puts back so little. So first point is if this money is spent now after nearly, um, you know, next year will be a decade of local authority cuts. The idea that this replaces what has been lost is mad. And also local authorities have lost revenue spending. So year on year on year spending. Mm -hmm. And this is supposed to be capital investment. So actually local authorities have basically had their ability to change economically their areas year on year on year uh, reduced. The idea that that is going to be improved by a kind of one-off capital hit is 
not really the case. It's a bit like saying to a family, we're going to cut your wages in half one year and then in half again and then in half again. And then in the ninth year of doing that, saying, how would you like a new sink? (laughs) Or, you know, how would you like a bit of investment for like a new toilet? Hmm. I'm thinking, well, that'll make up for it. And the other thing that it doesn't make up for is the loss in EU spending. Absolutely. So, So the investment that we get from the European Union, which I grant you, you know, the UK contributes to the EU's budget. We get much of that back through this sort of investment you know that's supposed to help rebalance areas economically and that will all be lost so the idea that this is net gain for anywhere in britain is untrue and also we're seeing the idea that people they were saying originally it was going to be four years that that money was kind of no seven now i hear but now it's it's seven now it's seven so it's like it's not would you like a new sink it's like do you want to tap this year (laughs) next year toilet roll holder (laughs) Uh, I could do you, never mind a set of knife and forks, I could do you a knife and a fork. I'll give you a small teaspoon. Yeah, so I think most families in that position would think, what? I think we need to start with the analogy. I think it's dying. I think it it's sort of works. It's on the fence. looking very sceptical. I'm... (laughs) But anyway, you get... Let's work on it. Yeah, you get the point. Um, The other other really interesting point, I think, about the, um, the Stronger Towns Fund is whether or not we are entering an era of pork barrel politics in the UK. Because I think the big question about all of this is that the government have tried to edge away from the idea that this is money for votes, quite rightly so, given that that would be like, you know, tantamount to what people might describe as bribery. Mm -hmm. So... um, Worked for the DUP. But that's the... Although it hasn't really, which is the even funnier part of in the US, a lot of uh, investment decisions historically have been taken about for political purposes. But we've never really done that in the UK. And the European Union's funding, structural the structural funding that, yeah. that is that's supposed to rebalance the economy is on a needs basis and it's on a, on a kind of like uh, economic criteria basis. And the government have really edged towards starting to say, you know, actually, we'll have a much more politically driven uh, investment approach. And I think a lot of people would rightly say, we don't really want pork barrel politics in the UK. So, Steph, that was going to be my question to you, I guess. Do you think that this Brexit bribe is enough to get sort of Brexit leaning Labour MPs to support May or not? No, I don't think it is. And I suppose you've kind of got to look at who is it that she's, if she is even attempting, as you say, to kind of buy people off, who is it that she's attempting to do? So there are Labour MPs who have said kind of quite clearly and and very consistently, to be fair, people like John Mann, like, we will vote for this deal. That's what we're going to do. And And for them, it's not need, you know, it's not necessary. Yeah. So it's the idea of like, well, you don't really need to buy their vote. You're just going to get it. Um, but there are other, you know, there are other Labour MPs who have been much more sceptical of the Labour line or wanting, you know, have lent more strongly into wanting to vote for Theresa May's deal, who are still saying, actually, as much as we want to honour the referendum, and that's the kind of line of which they use, this isn't good enough and this isn't going to be the way to do it. And as we say, giving them like what £1.6 billion mm. in certain areas where they've had their, even their one local council cut by like 16 billion over the last nine years that's not going to buy anybody off that's not it's not it's not good enough and neither kind of should it be and the 
the fact is, I think it was Stephen Bush, the um, political editor of the New Statesman, mm. was this morning repeating a, a message he'd had from a Labour MP, which said that because of the way that government have presented this, those Labour MPs who might have been thinking, maybe I should kind of consider voting for the Prime Minister's proposal. It's not a deal, by the way, Steph. It's not a deal. Keep Sorry. About deal. It's not a deal. It's a withdrawal agreement and a very woolly statement about the future framework. Anyway. Uh, I've been told off. I'll take it. <laughs> I digress. Uh, but anybody who was con considering voting with the Prime Minister, instead of talking about now about the reasons why they might be mm. considering doing that and putting pressure on the Labour Party to, you know, find some sort of compromise, they're now spending all of today yeah. saying you know, I'm, I won't be bribed, I won't be bribed. And it's just, it's really unhelpful atmosphere, I think, for the whole discussion. It seems to have really backfired for her, actually. It has. Um, and I think what's really interesting, and Ali, we can move in to this and think a bit about the economic impact, but I saw that David Lamy tweeted um, about the sort of actual amount of the Stronger Towns Fund. So we say it's £1.6 billion over six years. Uh, with seven. Seven years, sorry. And the European Regional Development and European Social Funds to the UK regions. Uh, so those are the structural funds that you're talking about. From 2014 to 2020, we're looking at spending £9.34 billion over that time frame. Hmm. So yeah. that's, that's almost... It's quite a bit more, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you don't need to be the world's <laughs> finest mathematician to... Uh, yeah, I'm, I am not the mathematician out. that you two are. But, but even I know there's something not quite right there. Yeah, so... I think people will rightly feel robbed by this. And we've only talked about local authority cuts mm. as well. You know, there's there's been significant problems elsewhere, whether it's the school's budget. Um, you know, we haven't even got to social care, mm. which is a pretty big nightmare for uh, local authorities and increasingly for the health service. So I think we'll have quite an interesting time when it comes to the spring statement and Philip Hammond's uh, so-called... I don't know, non-fiscal event, he's been saying it's going to be on the 13th of March. But given that that's supposed to be the day for the meaningful vote as well, I think, as my other half said to me, well, this is one way to manage the economy. <laughs> Not sure it's the best way. No. There we go. Um, so that seems like a fair, if bad, deal. I don't know. Um, but speaking of deals, what we haven't spoken about are the no-deal impact assessments. If we cast our minds back to the last set of votes, again, I'm trying to remember what week we're on in this sort of never-ending uh, sequence of weeks. So Anna Subri put forward an amendment to force the government to publish its no-deal impact assessments, uh, which were originally for cabinet eyes only. What have we learnt from this publication following her intervention, Ali? Well, I think that there are some things that we knew already that the government have basically confirmed. So the Im impact on food prices of um, inflation caused by exchange rate turbulence, you might say. So it's sterling, the value of sterling falling um, since the Brexit vote has already increased food prices quite a bit. And what these documents uh, talk about is the fact that food prices could increase even further. And part of that is because of general costs of moving food around increasing. Um, another possibility is that the government might need to apply tariffs to um, to food. So basic items like cheese and meat could have tariffs applied to them and that could put prices up quite a lot. Now, in terms of the impact on the public, that is really, really significant, especially people on fixed incomes. 
So there are those obvious and immediate things that people will see. Meanwhile, there's the kind of impact on businesses. So these documents basically said, I mean, to just quote one, it said that the government admitted that there was little evidence that businesses are preparing in earnest. Now, the government have been writing to businesses, asking them to prepare for no deal just in case. But I think if I was, you know, a business, you would want to do all that you could to hedge the risk. But actually, it could be incredibly costly for you if you spent money on no deal, knowing that Parliament has said and has voted to assert that it doesn't want no deal. So this is, I would say, a really big problem with the way that the government have managed the Brexit process, constantly keeping no deal as an option, because they're asking businesses who, you know, might be in marginal profitability to spend money on something that everyone says that mm. they don't want to happen so in in a kind of logical way the government has seen now that actually because of this mess businesses aren't really preparing for no deal in reality like many people i have had a, a notification from a car insurer mm. saying you know remember that if we're in a no deal situation um your uh, your insurance may be altered in that you won't be insured if you drive in Europe and you'll need to get um, without getting um, an international driver's permit. So whilst, you know, it it may or may not affect people individually, depending on whether or not they were mm. planning to, there'll be a lot of people who'll be thinking about driving to, you know, go camping in France or whatever, mm. for whom this is now a live question. So I think for all of us, the first thing that I would say is it brings it home what a mess the government are making of it this whole process allowing no deal to still be on the table but I think at some point as well there really has to be some sort of Chilcot style inquiry as to how we got to this position where the mm. country spend spent quite so much money allowing a situation that could be terrible for our economy to be a live reality yeah no for absolutely. so long um, and I think I saw someone actually apply for an international driving permit on Twitter the other day. And it was written sort of in pen in sort of 90s style. And it's like, here you go. This is valid from the 29th of March. So you can go driving. Um, Steph, Anna Subri is part of the newly formed independent group. Do you think this is a TIG victory? It, are we doing TIG, are we? Are we I've doing TIG or are we doing... I love it. I've I can't help it. Not, to be clear, not necessarily the idea, but yeah. the name. So, so Because of, of the Tiggers. Tiggers, yeah. So, I just think it's really cute. Or, or, it's also def- the only nickname I've ever managed to successfully achieve in my life, so... Oh, what, so Tigger? Yeah. I can't remember why. I think I dressed up as it once at university and then it became a thing. Okay. Well, I didn't even know that. Yeah. It's it's not a thing that's carried on. Right. Okay. uh, Good. Yeah. But yes. So, I mean, let's go for Tiggs. So, because I know Stephen Bush at the moment, not to make this a Stephen Bush fan pod, but he calls him the notorious... T-I-G, which Although I this think is a is pun a bit... that we used in our email first. Just putting that one out Yeah, if you're listening, Stephen, we've got you. Just putting that one out yeah. um, Is this a victory for them? I mean, it was something that Anna Subri was doing when she was a Conservative backbencher in terms of pushing those. So I think it's probably fair to say that part of this is down to the kinds of questions she's been asking, the amendments that she's been putting forward. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a giant victory for them. I think also, there's been a huge amount like, of cross-party working on all of these issues. And also what's in the government documents, I mean, having read them, is not anything that you couldn't have cobbled together from information that's in the public domain in any case. Mm. Mm. So actually, it's just, it's interesting that the um, that the cabinet, do you know, do have full awareness of this and no doubt they will have asked lots more questions. But 
we know how bad this is going to be. That's not the question. The question is, what is the government doing about it? And what pressure can be put on them to change course? Okay, great. Let's stop there. But quickly before we go, is there anything interesting coming up over the next week? You two are looking forward to? I mean, we've got our political weekend, so that's going to be pretty good. I'm very excited. So the next time we're together, although I'm not going to be on it. I'm no not. way, you're not on Podcast Live. No, I was, I was bumped from the lineup. So, what was it me? I'm blaming Henna. For who? Who am I? Well, to be fair, we have got a great lineup. So your your wonderful self will be on will be on the podcast. We've got John Hannett, uh, former general secretary of Usdor. All the Scousers. Uh, all the Scousers. Uh, we've got Gabby Hinsliff from The Guardian. No way. Yeah. Um, and we've got Henna, obviously, presenting. Obviously. So what we don't need is actually me. Um, we always need you, Steph. But it's going to be an excellent, it's going to be a really good weekend and we're doing our... Uh, podcast live there so the next big pod as we're now calling it yeah um, so it'll be big pod big people big pod big, big pod. people big yeah. pod big names big yeah. audience big audience woo yeah so it should be great so That's a great new strap line yeah we've still got literally a few bursaries left for people that want to apply to come so uh, do just get in touch get in touch with us straight away if that's something that you're interested in fantastic you great Thanks a lot. Now it's time for a quick break before we return to our favourite roving reporter, Stefan Rolnick, who's digging deeper into the growth of the far right in Spain. Find out more in this month's Progress magazine, which will be hitting your doorsteps in the near future. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One of the latest countries to hit the headlines with the rise of their own populist far-right movement is Spain. In December of 2018, the Vox Party won 11% of the vote in the regional elections of Andalusia. And at the beginning of this year, they were able to join the two other right-wing parties in the governing coalition. So, is this just a blip on the radar, or is it the start of a new movement? Where did the Vox Party come from, and what does it say about Spain's democratic history? Today, I'll be putting these questions to Christina Ariza, a research analyst at the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. Christina, thanks Hi. for joining us. Thank you for having me. So just to start off, different far-right parties often vary in their policy goals. What is the Vox Party's purpose? 
Yeah. So the Vox party is a far-right party that just came to the spotlight very recently because of the elections in Andalusia. And in a sense, it is quite similar to other populist right-wing parties in the US and Europe. Basically, anti-immigrant, anti-Islam, very nationalist, patriotic. But at the moment, they're also focusing quite a lot on anti this anti-feminism movement as well, which is something quite particular to Vox specifically. Okay, so speaking um, in terms of particularities, do Vox have the same position on institutions like the EU as other far-right parties? Um, the EU is not a priority for now for Vox. They're not as anti-EU as other parties in, in Europe, such as Le Pen or Get Builders in the Netherlands. Vox is a little skeptical in general of this elitism, what they call the European establishment, but they're not seeking a referendum or to get Spain out of the EU. That's not their priority. And so in terms of what makes them different, this kind of anti-feminism, they've got quite quite a controversial leader, mm -hmm. I'm right in thinking, and he's made some quite controversial comments about feminism. Could you tell us some more about yeah. that? Yeah, well, the leader is Santiago Abascal, and he used to be at Partido Popular, which is a popular party, main right-wing okay. party in Spain. And the kind of... Uh, he's, he's not for being quite controversial. And right now, after all the Catalonian movement that has really brought them into the spotlight, all they seem to be focusing on right now is this anti-feminism movement. So what they're trying to do and what they're asking for is to repeal all legislation that protects women in cases of domestic and gender violence. And they claim that this is, that the constitution and the laws at the moment are, that this is sort of discriminating men. Okay. So it's quite an interesting take. And it isn't <laughs> unlike other far-right parties that might be very patriarchy, all about patriarchy and anti-feminist. But, but these guys are actually trying to repeal all the laws that protect women in these cases. And so I guess it's quite interesting for perhaps um, people who don't know a lot of Spanish politics mm -hmm. or about Spanish political history... Um, it was noted by a lot of people that this was the far right's first victory in Spain exactly. since General Franco's death in 1975. Yes. And obviously they're characterised by a lot of this anti-feminism. Can you give our listeners a sense of where Vox fits into the broader political history of the far right in Spain mm -hmm. and traditional, like you say, patriarchal politics in Spain? Yeah, so obviously um, General Franco was uh, the dictator in Spain after... Um, the um, civil war in Spain, which ended 1939, and he ruled until his death in 75, as you just said. Basically, after him, there was a period of transition where the power was transferred to democratic parties, and it ended up being sort of a two-party system by uh, much like labor and conservatives mm -hmm. here. Um, but in that kind of context, far-right parties did not really have a place or did not resonate at all with Spanish people because the kind of ideology that they were pushing forward was more fascist, really connected to Francisco Franco, so nothing that could potentially resonate with the Spanish public. The thing about Vox is that they're not appealing to that sort of neo-Nazi ideology. They're more populist, much as, as the many far-right parties that are in Europe at the moment. So they're quite distinct in that they do accept democracy, they play the democratic game, and they have different aims, although they might converge around issues of 
very ultra-nationalism and patriarchy and all those issues that I mentioned. And the key word, I guess, to pick up on there, populism, because, um, and they're two very different movements, but Vox isn't the only populist movement in Spain at the moment. I mean, how do Vox fit into, um, I guess there's Podemos, mm -hmm. which is the kind of yes, a bit more left-wing. Left, yeah. yeah. And also um, the, more, the Catalan nationalism. I mean, how do these things play in together? Are they defined against each other? Do they agree on some things? I mean, where do they fit in? I mean, they don't really agree on much because mm. they're coming from such different parts of the spectrum. I think the Catalonian issue has been a trigger for a party like Vox to come into the into into the regional elections and, and maybe into the national elections in the future. Uh, because in a way, the Catalonian issue has forced every party, every major party in the political system to take its stance. So the left has been a little bit more willing to negotiate, more lenient on the, this uh, nationalist movement in Catalonia. However, the right has been more strict. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that, um, as we said before, most of the leaders from Vox actually come from Partido Popular, so the main right-wing party in Spain. And I think it also... It is a reaction to all these new far-left parties coming into power and the Catalonian issue basically exploding in the in the past couple of years. But I think it also speaks to the inability of the right-wing party to sort of constrain its more, its most um, extremist elements that it had within. And just to get a kind of full picture of the lay of the land in Spanish mm -hmm. politics and um, what there was before and what might have kind of what other things might have contributed mm -hmm. to the rise of Vox. Um, so obviously now we have a socialist government in Spain yes. led by Pedro Sanchez, but he came to power on the back of a corruption scandal mm -hmm. of the um, the PP, um, yes. the centre-right party. Um, has that played a role in a sense? Is, it, is this uh, the support of Vox and these other parties? Is that part of a larger kind of losing of faith in the political establishment in Spain? Or would you say it's confined and these are completely distinct? Or could that be one thing that ties them all together? I think it has definitely played a role along with the general very bad economic situation, levels of unemployment, for example, in Andalusia where Vox got elected, levels of unemployment are one of the highest in, in Spain. Um, I, I do think um, the disenfranchisement within uh, the Partido Popular and the corruption cases has played a role in some of its former voters now trying to to go a little bit more to the right. And I think there's a number of factors that we need to look at, but those would definitely be in the mix. And I guess going forward now, um, I guess I'm interested in, are people in Spain part of the, you know, the, the, the more centre-left parties, the centre-right parties, um, is there a concern that Vox will be able to replicate their regional success mm -hmm. nationally and what have the responses been to that in terms of policy movement from the two main parties? So I think Ciudadanos, which is the center to center right party, has taken a very strong stance against them, even though right now they're quite in a, in a difficult position because they haven't, they are in a coalition government with Partido Popular, the Popular Party, and then the Popular Party has like a separate agreement with Vox. So they this can is be in, the in, in Andalusia. Yes. So I think the party, especially Socialist Party and Ciudadanos are trying to build a sort of movement against and try to isolate the far right and just not let them have any say in politics. I do think that uh, come the national elections, uh, at the moment Vox is polling around 6.5%, which is a high rise 
compared to last year. So I do think that they might have a say in sort of forcing the rest of the parties to go either to the left or to the right to accommodate them. And just to finish off to talk about our, um, you know, our, our comrades over in Spain in the Socialist Party and Pedro Sanchez, how have they managed um, in government since they came to power? Because they haven't got a particularly strong majority. How have they managed to implement their policy positions and kind of quell this rise of nationalism and anti-immigrant sentiment? Yeah, I think uh, part of what they're they're, they're being accused of, especially Pedro Sanchez, is of, and, and this is a position taken by Ciudadanos, which is a centre-right party, is, is sort of say, well, you you seem to have partnered up with some nationalists and trying to to also be coming closer to the far left. So you, you're not in a position where you're going to have our support if you try mm. to go forward to your policies. And those so are this Catalan is, nationalists. Yes, yes, those are Catalan nationalists and also, a, in a way, far-left Podemos, which is... Uh, also in that consensus as well. So I think that moving forward, um, this sort of the whole uh, political, the, all the political parties are very divided right now. And the fact that Vox is coming into play and then Partido Popular might be getting into alliances or a coalition government with them is going to also cause a reaction because mm, Partido Socialista, is, they're not going to want to partner with them, which not that they were going to do, but... It, it sort of creates an additional problem in terms of who's going to partner with who and what is a coalition going to look like. Cool. So that's that's a really, really useful summary of the Spanish political landscape. Mm. If our listeners would like to know more, read more about it, is anything you'd recommend for them to dive um, into? Well, um, so the institution that I work for, the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change, has uh, one of the areas of focus that we have at the moment is actually how to revitalize the center ground to fight against populism on both the right and the left. So um, we have a department called uh, Renewing the Center, which is actually publishing a lot of data-driven reports on this issue and how populism is actually harming democracy. So I really encourage our listeners to check it out. Cool. Well, we'll put a link in the further reading. But Christina, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. That's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review. And remember, we thought of Notorious TIG first. See you on Friday. been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was one in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks to our fantastic and long-suffering producer caroline crampton Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.